You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Thank you, uh, Jordan and Ben, for leading us in that time of worship. It's awesome to be reminded that God turns graves into gardens, and then he holds us fast uh, throughout this life. Um, If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is James Vallee, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Redeemer, and also a church planting resident, which means that uh, my family, uh, my four boys, my wife and myself, we're moving to Dripping Springs, Texas, uh, June of of this summer to plant a gospel-centered missional family there in Dripping Springs. We're excited about that, Um, and and that is, so that is what's coming up, preparing to do that um, currently. Uh, I just want to say how awesome and encouraging that video was, and I just want to take some time to thank you uh, for your generosity. Uh, it was incredible. Two weeks ago when we opened the Moldova account, we immediately had around $20,000 in it. We were very encouraged by that. So we mailed Eugene a check for about $25,000, assuming a few more gifts would come in. And then we sat down at staff meeting last Tuesday and looked at the account and seen that it had grown to over $60,000. So we get to mail him another check for over $40,000. And how encouraging that is. Just know that God is using your generosity uh, to relieve pain and suffering, real pain and suffering uh, in people's lives over there that's been caused by this wicked war. Um, So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your giving and keep giving. Uh, Be encouraged by that. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of Romans this morning. And I just want to remind you, before we get started, what what Pastor Jason reminded uh, reminded us of last week when he preached, Romans chapters 1 through 11 are all about, it's an in-depth explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's writing to the church in Rome and just explaining in-depth how a sinner can be forgiven of their sin and reconciled to their creator God. And that's only through faith in Jesus Christ. That's Romans chapter 1 through 11. Then Romans chapter 12, it marks a huge pivot in the book of Romans. And now Paul begins to describe what that looks like in the Christian life. So now you've trusted in Jesus. Now what does it look like? How should that change our relationships and how we live? In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, what Pastor Jason preached on last week, he talked about and he laid out for us the marks of a true Christian. These are some marks of a true Christian. He continues that theme today, some more marks of a true Christian, and he really hones in on this one mark of a true Christian, and that is loving our enemies. So I'm excited to talk about this passage. I'm excited to look at it with you. Um, It contains some very puzzling and hard, hard commands, simply hard to obey. There's no way around it. How many soccer, soccer fans do we have in the house? Any soccer players? See some kids, hands go up. We just put our four-year-old Seth in soccer. And if you haven't been to a four-year-old soccer game, you haven't lived uh, because they are intense. Um, No, they're hilarious, but some soccer is intense. Soccer is probably the most popular sport in the world. And there are some intense rivalries in soccer. And when these rivalries get together and play, oftentimes fights break out in the stands and sometimes riots. Some of them very deadly fights and very deadly riots. And in 1985, 
the English Liverpool team was playing an Italian soccer team, and some fights broke out among rival fans that turned into a riot that killed 39 people. So naturally, the fans, the guys, the dads who just want to take their kids to a soccer game, call for more police involvement. Right? That makes sense. If these people are going to come to a soccer game and fight and riot in such a violent way that it leaves 39 people dead, then we need some police to come in in a more violent way and, and put the, help, help calm these crazies down and get them under control. But what they found was, what was interesting, is that though police involvement increased at the soccer games, the rioting and the violence didn't decrease. In fact, what they found is when police presence increased, the rioting and the violence increased as well. And now I want to give a caveat here. I'm not calling for less police. I'm not saying defund the police. I'm not saying that's the position that you should adopt. Um, unlike the popular theologian Snoop Doggy Dog, I love the police. Um, so that is not at all what I'm saying. I'm simply talking about police presence um, at soccer games and the effects of that. So as police presence increased, the violence and the riots increased as well. So the European Cup in 2004 was going to be hosted in Portugal. And some police officials that are higher up kind of recognized this phenomenon that was happening, and they decided to adopt a very different police tactic. So instead of a, a large, visible police presence, they went for a, a police presence that was the same size, but police in street clothing, in regular clothing, and less police in riot gear. They also trained their police to go up and talk to people. And be kind. They train the police officers. As you see a group forming that could potentially, you think, could turn violent, go up there in a group of y'all and start talking to them. Ask them, what team are you rooting for? How's the game going? Instead of confiscating soccer balls and popping them in the parking lot, which had happened at previous games, the police in Portugal were handing out soccer balls. And everybody in the soccer union thought, he's crazy, this is not going to work. Uh, but what was fascinating is that it did work. And a group of researchers, a team of researchers, did an in-depth study and published the results of police tactics and their effects at these soccer games. And the 2004 European Championship in Portugal proved to be the most peaceful ever. And how did they accomplish it? Really by doing what doesn't make any sense to me at all. Not by facing strong violence with, with stronger violence, but they, they, their approach was to face potential violence with intentional kindness. And we see this modeled and taught throughout the life of Christ. We see this taught here in Romans chapter 12, what we're about to look at. Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. Paul teaches that the way to overcome evil is not with more evil. When you do that, evil wins. Again, I'm not saying the police are evil, using that as an example. The, the way to overcome evil is not with more evil. The only way to overcome evil is with good. And so let's read Romans 12, 14 through 21. This is what Paul says to the church in Rome. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. 
Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll, weep, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's a fascinating eight verses. I don't know if you noticed, but there's, over, there's approximately 16 commands jammed into those 18 verses. And don't worry, I don't, I don't have 16 points for you. Um, but there's 16 commands jammed into those verses. And some of them are hard to wrap our minds around. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And some of them are even, and even harder to live out. I'm going to take them somewhat out of order. There's some commands in there regarding, again, marks of a true Christian, loving one another, loving other Christians. But then there's also, it's sandwiched by commands of to love your enemy. So I'm going to go a little bit out of order. But before we even get into the commands, I just want to encourage you to pause and ask the question, why is Paul writing this to Christians in the church? Did Paul not just spend the first 11 chapters of Romans showing Christians that they're free from the penalty and the enslaving power of sin? So why does he write to them and say, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good? Well, he did write to them in 11 chapters, explaining to them how they're free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. But sin still remains in our presence, and sin is deceptive. So if Christians are not taught and encouraged how to relate to people when mistreated, then naturally our tendency will be to repay evil with evil. And that will only lead to us being overcome by evil. Evil wins. So think about it. Uh, Personally, my imperfect, human, sinful, broken nature, my natural response when persecuted would be to curse, not to bless. Oftentimes, my natural response is not to rejoice when something good happens to somebody else or not to weep when something bad happens to somebody else. My natural inclination may be to, to think that I'm right, to be haughty, to be wise in my own eyes, to not associate with people who are different and more lowly than me. My natural response would be to avenge myself, repay evil with evil. Paul wants us to know that people will persecute you, whatever that looks like today here in America. People will gossip about us. They'll not appreciate us the way we think we should be appreciated. They'll disagree with us politically. People will get things that we want. They'll get the promotion that we want. They'll have the family that we want. And then may, people just may treat us badly. And when that happens, we have two, two options, two ways that we can respond. We can obey God or we can sin. We can respond to people mistreating us and persecuting us the way Jesus did or we can harbor bitter and jealousy and anger in our hearts. And if we continue down that road, that will only lead to us being overcome by evil. Evil wins. Being overcome by evil is not a place you want to be as a Christian. 
We need to recognize that this battle is for us. This battle against evil is for us. And then the only way to gain victory is by repaying evil with good. But still, how in the world are we supposed to do that? It's very hard. So let's look at these commands. Let's look at these commands. First, let's look at the commands um, where Paul says to love your fellow Christians. It's interesting. He starts out in verse 14 by saying, bless those who persecute you, bless, do not curse. So he starts out talking about the enemies, then he ends by talking about enemies. But in the middle there, in verses 15 and 16, Paul talks about how to love one another. He jumps back to loving Christians. Let's read it, Romans 12, verses 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, associate with the lowly, and never be wise in your own sight. Just in those two verses, there's about six commands, but I've kind of lumped them into three categories. So three ways that Christians can love one another. Number one is to show empathy. One way that we can love one another is to show empathy toward one another. Empathy means simply to identify with someone, identify with what they're going through, to make that person's situation your own. And to allow what's happened to that person to affect you. That's what it means to show empathy. And this is hard. It can be very difficult. Paul says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It can be hard to rejoice when the friend gets the promotion. It can be hard to rejoice when the other couple gets pregnant. It can be hard to rejoice when... A competitor starts a company that's super successful. It's hard. It can be hard to be happy for them. Oftentimes, we can just be tempted to be either indifferent or even worse, be jealous of them instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice. Same is true on the weeping side. I see this in myself in ministry being exposed over the last eight years to just like deep darkness and sin and terrible brokenness in the world. And then someone comes to visit with me or I meet up with somebody and they're weeping about something that I think, this is, this is not problems. Man, I've seen problems, and this is not problems. But that's, that's not right. That's not weeping with those who weep. It's problems to that person. So we can be tempted to be indifferent towards others weeping, whether that's here in the church or whether that's in Ukraine, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We can be indifferent to that in our everyday lives. Or worse... We can be happy that the other person is weeping, feeling maybe they got what they deserved. That is not the way of Jesus. Jesus calls his people to show empathy, to love one another. When we show empathy to one another, we're displaying the love of Christ, the goodness that will overcome evil. Second, he says to seek peace. The second way Christians can love one another is to seek peace with one another. He says this in verse 16 and then hits on it again in verse 18. Paul commands Christians to live in harmony, live in harmony with one another. And then in 18, live peaceably with all. To have a peaceful mind and and to seek harmony in the church is to not have a combative mind, is to not have an argumentative mind. It's to not be divisive in the church, but to seek peace in the church. And let's be honest, this is hard too. Peace is hard because when feelings are hurt, when there's a wound, sometimes it's easier to just bottle it up with frustration than it is to go and have a hard conversation that would lead to reconciliation and peace. 
Sometimes it's easier to just talk bad about the leader or go behind the boss's back and talk bad about the boss and plant little seeds of division than it is to go to the leader or go to the boss or go to the brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, this offended me. Can we talk about this? And to seek reconciliation and to seek peace. And Paul knows that we'll mess this up. Paul knows that we'll create conflict in the church and outside of, and outside of the church. And that's why he says this in verse 18. So far as it depends on you, seek to live peaceably with all. So he's saying when you do mess up and cause conflict or when you're hurt, when you're the recipient of somebody else hurting you, as so far as it depends on you, you do everything that you can to make that right. If you've hurt someone in the church, it's on you to go and seek reconciliation. If there's beef between you and someone in the church, it's on you to go and seek reconciliation. If you've been hurt by someone in the church, don't bottle that up. Admit it. And go seek reconciliation with the, other, with the other person. Seek peace. It's a powerful demonstration of Christ's love. It's a second way that Christians can love one another. Seek to live peaceably with each other as far as it depends on us. And the greatest enemy of peace in the church is pride. And that leads us to the, the third command that Paul gives. Is to seek humility. Another way that Christians can love one another is by living humbly among one another. He says this twice in verse 16, don't be haughty. Never be wise in your own eyes. To be haughty, when I'm haughty, it's when I think of myself and I get puffed up and prideful. I think I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. It's to be haughty. When I'm wise in my own eyes, when I'm wise in my own sight, that means I'm right and everyone else is wrong. And my opinion is the only opinion that matters. And Paul says the antidote for that, it's fascinating. He says the antidote for that is to associate with the lowly. To associate with the lowly. Surround yourself intentionally. Skip, put time in your calendar to, that you're spending time with people who are less fortunate than you, more common than you, more hashtag basic Surround yourself with those people. And, and he says, associate with them, which means to share life with them. That word carries the connotation of like carrying them and their burdens with you. And he says, that will take you down a peg or two. That will keep you humble. He says, associate with the lowly. Do not be haughty. Never be wise in your own sight, but associate with the lowly. If we seek to live humble lives, associating with the lowly, we'll be demonstrating the love of Christ. Goodness that will overcome evil. So those are the three ways that Paul tells Christians to love one another. And, and those are hard. It's hard. I, I, I naturally would just like to think that I'm right all the time. I naturally would like to just surround my, myself with people who also think I'm right all the time. But that's not what we're called to do. That's not the way of Jesus. It says, do not be haughty, never be wise in your own eyes. So those are the commands for Christians to love one another. But then it gets, and they're difficult, and then it gets even more difficult as Paul drills down here. So let's look at the commands where Paul tells us to love our enemies. He begins and ends this section, like I said, with commands to love our enemies, love those who mistreat us, and love those who persecute us. Now, how in the world do we do that? But first, before we get into those, let's pause and ask the question, who are my enemies? Who are my enemies? 
Paul leaves it vague, I believe, intentionally. Paul doesn't say this type of person is your enemy, this type of person is not your enemy, this type of person is one who's mistreating you, and this type of person is not. And I think there's two categories of enemies, at least. There's general, and then there's specific. So for a first century Christian reading this, a general enemy could have been Rome. Could have been Rome. It could have been a local political tyrant that was literally going to persecute them. Nero, who's going to impale them and feed them to lions, things like that. That could have been an an enemy. Another general category of enemies could have been um, a religious sect or the Judaizers that were teaching salvation by works and trying to undermine the authority and the word of God. It could have been general. Those are general. What about specific in the first century? Could have been someone in your family who disowns you because you've become a Christian. Could have been someone in the marketplace who fired you from your job because he found out you follow Jesus. It could be somebody you sat by in church, claimed to be a Christian, but was gossiping about you. So, and then think about our lives today. uh, general categories of potential enemies. Who is it? Is it Russia? Is it Trump? Is it Biden? Is it groups uh, trying to promote abortion as something good? Is it groups trying to destroy God's design for family and, and human sexuality and human flourishing and marriage? Is it Christian nationalism? Like who are the general enemies? Is it false teachers out there? Is it cults out there that claim to be Christian but teach contrary to the word of God? Or it could be specific. It could be someone you work with, someone you serve with here at church that's done something to hurt you or wound you. Or you see someone at church who's just rude to you or mean to you. Someone in your family who's mistreated you. So as we, as we read these verses, Paul left it vague, and I want you to prayerfully consider who, who, who falls into this category for you? Who can you apply these verses to in your life? Who is someone who's mistreated you, who you feel persecuted by, who you would consider an enemy? And then apply these things to that group of people. Let's read the verses. We'll, we'll read Romans 12, 14, and then Romans 17 through 21. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Three commands in one verse. Bless, bless, do not curse. Then, then Romans 7, 12, 17 through 21, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so... You will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, about nine commands jammed up there. I'm going to sum it up again into three ways that Christians can express love to our enemies. Number one, honor those who mistreat you. Publicly honor those who mistreat you. In verse 17, Paul says, when someone treats you evil... When someone mistreats you, do not repay with evil. He says, but think to do what is honorable and good and beautiful for them in the sight of all. In the sight of all. That is not my natural response when someone mistreats me. How could I honor this person publicly? 
just in front of everyone and make them look great. Not my natural response. My natural response is to just, one, either be away from them to defend myself or to be mean right back. But we're called to honor those who've mistreated us. We have an example of this. We know a good friend um, who was invited to visit a high school friend, one of her high school friends. Um, she, She was invited by this friend, come and stay with us this weekend. Let's spend time together. Let's hang out. So our friend booked a flight, was gonna stay at her friend's house. Like two days before the flight, her friend calls our friend, or the friend calls our friend and says, "Um, actually, I've got other plans this weekend. You can't stay with me, but you're welcome to still come in town and I won't be able to see you. Well, naturally, our friend felt mistreated. She felt mistreated by that. Her feelings were hurt, but she never dishonored her friend in public around us. She spoke nothing but kind things about this person. She said she's encouraged me and she's prayed for me and prayed with me. That's like honoring someone in public who's mistreated you. Parents in the room, you ever felt mistreated by your kids? Amen? Right? Parents who love and try to care for their kids. And then sometimes kids respond with disrespect or dishonesty, arguing. And parents can feel mistreated by them. And that should be disciplined in a godly way in the home. But in public, in front of others, honor. Show honor to your children. Tell people how proud of them you are. The same goes for, uh, for kids who've been, who feel mistreated by their parents when they're disciplined. Honor your father and mother. Show honor publicly. Speak well of them in front of others. It's very difficult, but it demonstrates the love of Christ. Goodness that will overcome evil. Well, that's one way we can love our enemies is by honoring those who mistreat us. Another way is to trust that God is just. We can, there's, this is a way that we can show love to our enemies, and it's a passive thing. It's something that we don't do. It's, it's just, it's an action that we don't take. Well, it is an action that we take. We actively trust in God and that he is just, and we don't actively seek out vengeance ourselves. Verse 19 Paul begins that hard command, beloved, never avenge yourselves with the word beloved for a reason. Because he's saying this is going to be hard and I want to remind you that you are the recipient of God's love and you did not deserve that. You're beloved. He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. When wronged, I naturally want to avenge myself. When wounded, I desire revenge. Revenge in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's good or bad depending on the one who's dishing out the revenge. There was a time in my life when I ran in some some bad circles. A lot of those were uh, because of myself. I attracted people to me that were not good. And any time wronged, any, any time I was offended or somebody said something wrong about me or one of my friends or one of my family members, I would always seek revenge on my own. And a lot of, the, a lot of that looked like violence, the destruction of property, the destruction of people, um, hurting people, and it never accomplished anything good. I never felt satisfied afterwards. I always felt like either I took it too far and went too far with my revenge or I didn't go far enough. 
And that's because I didn't know how to dish out revenge. It wasn't, that's not supposed to be on me. That's not my responsibility. It was liberating when I discovered this truth, that God is just, and he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, and God is good. Ultimate judgment is in his hands. I found myself free to forgive those who mistreated me and who had wronged me and who had persecuted me, even if they didn't seek that forgiveness. I was free because I knew it's not on me to get even. It's not on me to avenge myself. God is sovereign, and God will take care of it, everything, in the end. R.C. Sproul says it this way. He says, in the final analysis, vengeance belongs to God. There will be payback. Our offenses will be avenged, but the one who, did, who is to do it is God. And when God brings vengeance, he brings it perfectly. So Christian, one way you can love your enemy is by trusting and being comforted that our all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, loving God who loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us will avenge us. He will appropriately repay the evil done to us and we can trust him. It's basically like he's saying, Christian, you trust me, you trusted me with your sin. You trusted me to deal with your sin by putting it on my son on the cross and you liked that. You liked the way that turned out. You get forgiven. He dies for your sin. You get forgiven. You get his righteousness. Now trust me with their sin. And you don't concern yourself with that. You concern yourself with following me. Just trust me. He says, I'll, I'll avenge it. That's one another, another way we can love our enemies is by not avenging ourselves. Then number three, final one, is to bless and serve our enemies. Bless and serve your enemies. And this is the hardest one. I think that's why I saved it for last, even though part of it is in the first part of the section, because it's just so counterintuitive to me. Paul basically says the only way to, be, to overcome evil deeds to you is by performing actually doing good deeds in return. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That is very hard. When, someone's persecute, when someone persecutes me, my natural tendency is not to bless. If my enemy's hungry, great. If my enemy is thirsty, great. He's my enemy. My natural response is not to go and pr pray to God and ask God to rain down his favor and blessings on this person. And it's definitely not to go sacrifice my time and resources to perform overt acts of kindness for this person. In both of these verse in, verses, Paul calls us to actively do something. He says, bless, feed, give him water, do something. Pray for God to bless this person. Provide for their needs. That is, that is hard. Paul knows it's hard. And uh, so he attaches some motivation to it. If you look at verse 20, he says, for If you do this, then you'll heap burning coals on his head. So perhaps, maybe, being kind towards our enemies can be a way of leading them to be ashamed of their wrongs that they've done to us and perhaps turn to Christ. But even with that motivation... Even with that bit of motivation, this is still very hard for me. This is hard to do. This is difficult to do. When someone mistreats me, I'm not only to forgive them, but to respond by praying for God's blessings over them, and then 
to perform acts of kindness for them. Like, that's hard. There's no way around it. What in the world are we supposed to do? So there it is. Let's zoom out. There's that passage of Scripture. Now let's zoom out and just look at the 16 commands that I've summed up in six. Show empathy towards others. Seek peace with everyone. Seek humility. Honor those who are evil to you. Trust that God will avenge you anytime you're wronged. And then go pray blessings over your enemies and serve them. This is the only way to have victory over evil. Either you'll have victory over evil or victory will have evil over you. Or evil will have victory over you. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Either you will have victory over evil or evil will have victory over you. But it seems like there's no way that we can obey these commands for me. This is a daunting, it's a daunting task. It's a daunting passage of scripture, very hard, filled with do this and don't do this. So how in the world is obedience possible? The gospel is the only thing that makes obedience to this possible. It is only because Romans chapter 1 through 11 are true that we can obey chapter 12. It is only because of what Jesus has done for us that we'll be able to do these things. Let's think about what Jesus did and how he perfectly embodied all of these things. And Christian, I just invite you to marvel at this and be grateful. Think about what Christ did for you in your place. And if you're not a believer yet, I still invite you to marvel at what Christ did and then to trust in him today. Let's think about how Jesus rejoiced with those who rejoiced. He joyfully went to weddings. He joyfully fed the hungry. He joyfully healed people. Jesus wept with those who wept. At Lazarus' tomb, he wept with Mary and Martha, his sisters. He wept over his friend's death. He never acted haughty or wise in his own eyes. He associated with the lowly as he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And he sought to live peaceably with all. And think about how Jesus never sinned. He was innocent. Yet he received immeasurable persecution and false accusations and cursing just piled upon him. Yet he did not avenge himself. He refused to repay evil for evil. As he he was being beaten and nailed to the cross for crimes he didn't commit, he trusted God's justice. He blessed those who persecuted him and killed him when he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he served his enemies by dying for their sin. Jesus overcame evil with good. He overcame the most evil with the most good. The most horrific evil event that has ever happened in history was the murder of the innocent son of God, Jesus Christ. That is the most evil thing that has ever happened in history. Jesus died. They killed him. They put him in a tomb, evil. But then Jesus rose back out of the grave, conquered death, conquered sin, and offered forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to all who would trust in him. The greatest good. Jesus overcame evil with good. And he did this for his enemies, offering this to his enemies. Remember, What Romans 5, 8 and 10 says, God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, while we were enemies of God, 
we were reconciled back to him by the death of his son. That's incredible. And listen, if I don't understand the love of Christ and I've never experienced that life-saving power that comes from that love, I will not be able to love my enemies. I'll not be able to love my fellow church members for that matter. If I, did, if I do not really know and believe that I was an enemy of God and not loving him, but he loved me first and he loved me anyway, then I will not be able to love those who mistreat me and who do not love me back. But when I have experienced Christ's saving love and I understand that he did all of these things for me when I was his enemy, then through the power of his spirit living inside of me, I can do the same. You can do the same. If you have experienced this love with your eyes fixed on Jesus, you can do the same. We will not do it perfectly. We will fail at this. But when we trust in Jesus, God changes our heart and gives us the ability to obey these things. He gives us the ability to overcome evil with good. The gospel is the only thing that makes this possible. So when you find yourself around difficult people this week, if you find yourself being mistreated in the presence of one of your enemies, remember that the only way to overcome evil is with good. It's the only way. Be loving to those who don't deserve it and even when you don't feel like it. Or evil will win. Or evil will win. And this is hard. I remember loving and living this way is hard. But this is what it means to love and live like Jesus. It requires sacrifice. This is what it means to be a Christian. I'll close with this quote from Tim Keller. He says this, Christian, if the way that we love another comes at a cost to ourselves, then we have started to know what the love of Christ is like. And it is only this love that will overcome evil. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for loving us before we loved you. God, we thank you for loving us while we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies, God, before the foundation of the world. God, you loved us and you chose us out of the world, and we thank you for that, God. We thank you for your your sovereign grace, your sovereign love. Thank you for pouring it out on us who do not deserve it. And I pray that we would fix our minds on that, fix our minds on the life of Christ, fix our eyes on Christ crucified in our place, the ultimate display of love. God, and I just pray that you would enable us to love others the way Paul calls us to here. God, help us to love each other in this room as a church. Help us to love one another. Help us to seek peace with each other, to seek harmony, to be humble. God, make us humble. Help us to love those who mistreat us, who we think are our enemies. God, those who persecute us, give us grace. It is only because of the gospel, you changing our hearts, that we will ever be able to obey these commands. But God, I pray that by your spirit living in us, you'd enable us to do that, empower us to do that. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.